What's going on? Welcome back to the True Christian Ministry Podcast for our Wednesday episode. And it's weird. We're meeting at a different time. We've been going at nine o'clock central for a year almost. Uh, but daylight savings time mixed up with Africa and his time zone. We're on at 8:30, but this is our new time, guys. So that way we can have an entire hour and a half. We're sorry to drop this on you so last minute. Some of you might not have found out in time, and some of you are watching this after the fact. And let me just go ahead and say. My bad. Um, Monday, we <laughs> came across the time zone thing, and that's my fault, JD. Again, I'm, I'm a narcissistic American, so in my mind, there are no countries outside of America. That's just like yeah. outside of America. And uh, therefore, I forgot that you have a different time zone, and I was not aware of your existence. So I apologize, and I pray that you forgive me. I do. I do. Good. With a heavy heart, I do. I'm joking. What's up, everybody? It's good. It's good to be back. It's good to see. Mike's had a good trim. I've lost the beard. Uh, new looks, same. Oh yeah. <laughs> what, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? I like. Yeah. I like the beard. Bro, it was it was getting on my nuts. <laughs> That's the only way to say it. It was like it was just irritating. So, so in my country, that expression. Hmm. Let me just say that expression doesn't work in my country. Oh, yeah. I, I suppose you guys. Everyone you guys in the comment it. section before they catch up to this moment is like, oh, word. Yeah. Word. Look, even. Okay, so it was, it was driving me mental. Huh. Huh. Go let, ahead let me and just explain that for me terms. right quick. Yeah, it's, um, it, 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 was, it was driving me mental. There, there we yes, go. That's I got you. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and do the normal say hellos. And uh, they call it house cleaning. Uh, guys, thank you for coming uh, to the show. As always, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button. You're hitting that follow button, wherever you might be watching this. Uh, as always, TikTok, you're able to watch us, but you cannot comment. If you want to participate in the show, come over to YouTube. Uh, join us. The comment section is alive and pumping right now. And also, for the first time ever, we are now streaming, uh, live streaming to Facebook. So we're also on Facebook. So we might have someone watching on Facebook. Might not. Who knows? I can. We cannot even see the comments on Facebook. So if you're commenting on Facebook, we can't see it. So same thing for you. If you want to participate in this, come over to the YouTube. It's uh, youtube.com slash at true Christian. Uh, link is in all my bios, regardless where you're at. Uh, so if you want to be a part of this conversation, to summarize it all, YouTube is the spot. But you're more than yep. welcome to watch wherever you're watching. Uh, we are glad that you might be here for the first time. Uh, this is a show where our goal is to put the focus on the Lord, uh, let the scripture do the talking, and JD and myself are just big brothers walking walking this journey with you. We're not trying to lead you. We're trying to walk with you. Um, and if we're going to lead, it'll be by example. Uh, so, JD, you ready for tonight's topic? Man, tonight's topic is a good one, guys. We we discussing Christology. We we discussing who you know. That's why the title is "Who Do You Say That I Am." We discussing Jesus, the Man mm -hmm. Christ Jesus, God incarnate. We breaking down the divinity and deity of Christ, the flesh nature of Christ, mm -hmm. and obviously the eternal God who is Christ. So again, we get this wrong. This topic gets 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 uh, twisted, and guess what? Every other bit of doctrine is going to be false or tweaked or incorrect at some point. Um, and this is ultimately why modalists cannot understand why we say we agree with them when they say Jesus Christ is God, but we don't agree with them when they say Jesus Christ is the Father. And hopefully we can get into that. Hopefully we can break it down for you. 
And um, again, if there's any questions about Jesus, um, please drop them in the chat. And um, if they're if they're in line with what we're speaking about, then yes. we can we can address them. If they're in line with what we're speaking about at the moment, you ask them. Yes. If it's an unrelated question, save it to the end. Um, also. If you're coming in here and there's some things that we're talking about, but we're not hitting on before you ask the question, heads up, we might already have spoken about it. So as far as the Trinity goes, I have a playlist on TikTok in my playlists labeled Trinity with several videos, each like 10 minutes long, a lot of content discussing it. I saw someone asking a question about water baptism. I have a playlist on TikTok labeled baptism where, where we talk about the scriptures that uh, that involve baptism water baptism and and those different things so guys always check see what we have we're slowly building these playlists we have a, a ton of content and we have to just organize it but tonight's goal is christology and the reason i wanted to do this tonight and the reason why i brought this up to jd is because this is a common thing that we're gonna always need to it's not like a one and done i know it and then i'm good it is if you live in the woods and I mentioned this earlier when I did a live stream. The gospel is very simple. It's actually extremely simple if you allow it to be. And that is yeah. believe in Jesus and go love people. It can stop yeah. there. But you know what the problem is? We dive in and want to get the nitty gritty into the details. And when you open up these doors, well, now you have a choice between truth and the lie. You could have just accepted like, hey, I believe in the Trinity. I can't explain it. I'm not even trying to even trying to even fathom it but once you open that door and start going into the deeper details and then you start saying well maybe jesus is the father now you've made it complex and, and now the truth yeah. does matter the truth always matters but ignorance is not the same as willful ignorance yep 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 absolutely amen and, and again it's 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 not because it's not because and a lot of people misunderstand this that we're trying to be right we're trying to be right um We've got it figured out. No, 100%. We do not have it all figured out. I'm going to tell you right now, we do not have it all figured out. But the truth of the matter is scripture answers scripture. Um, and this is why Jeremiah says precept upon precept, line upon line. We do not get to cherry pick and go, okay, well, Isaiah 9, 6 says Jesus is the everlasting father. Again, the context of what that verse is. It's got nothing to do with Jesus Christ being the eternal father in heaven, in mm. heaven. Um, so we need to we need to understand and make these distinctions. Um, and why? So that we can deliver the gospel. Uh, God sent his only son. His son did not send himself. God sent Christ, as we see in John 3, 16. Jesus Christ, again, in unison, unity with the father took on the form of a servant, bleeding himself out, being obedient even to, you know, to the death of the cross, Philippians 2, which we'll, which we'll get into. There's so many passages yeah. within the New Testament that, um, that break it down. Yeah, exactly. And um, if you guys notice me grabbing my neck tonight, just will let you know I have a I have a stiff neck. Like my neck is in major pain, so I apologize if I'm a little fidgety on camera. Um, so I wanted to bring up a couple of scriptures real quick to discuss why this is so important, because I do get that question all the time. Like, it doesn't matter as long as you believe that Jesus died for the sins. In fact, one of the uh, I don't even know what I would call him. He's not a modalist. He's he's like he's like a, a, a hybrid Jehovah Witness slash Arianism. Regardless, I recently re rebuked the guy um, and 
in his content, he said, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're a modalist, Trinitarian, et cetera, et cetera, as long as you believe Jesus, the man died and rose from the grave, you're good. And I don't like his way he worded that because here's the truth of it. In Jeremiah 9, what does it say? Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, right? So this, the thing you're called to boast about is knowing him. Well, you have Amen. to know him in order to do that. And then let me take you over real quick to 1 John. I mean, I'm not, I'm sorry, to, to Colossians 1. And, and I've discussed this verse before. When Paul prays for them, he doesn't say, I, I pray for you to have blessings and financial breakthrough. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he prays for knowledge so that they can know God better. In, in chapter two of Colossians, he mentions that, the goal is to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasure, uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is important Amen. that we know God and what greater, how do I want to word this JD? There's no greater thing to know about God than how he exists. And he has revealed that to us. So I take Amen. it very serious that we are called to, Maybe not comprehend the Trinity, but believe that God is one and God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as demonstrated in the scriptures. Amen, man. Amen. And, and that's 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 the bottom line. Uh, we've said this many times. We'll keep repeating the same thing. I've said it on my lives. Mark said it on his lives. You do not have to fully comprehend the Trinity. It's not something that you have to fully comprehend. It's not something that you, you, you necessarily... Um, are able to put into words and deliver to someone else, but you cannot deny it. That's that's the biggest. That's how modalism came about. Came about. Yeah. Because we can't understand something, then we just reject it. Um, again, if we could, and you need to just sit back and think about this for a second. If we could understand the fullness of God and His mysteries and His wonders and what He does and what He doesn't do. Our little five-pound brains would explode because it's not even possible for us to comprehend the fullness of God. But what has God given us? He has given us his revealed word so that we are able to understand his instruction, his, his, his ultimate plan of salvation, and how it began and how it ends. This is what God, this is what God gives us. He leaves no gray area. There is no hidden path to salvation. It is belief in Christ Jesus that he was the one who took your place, that he rose from the grave, and Amen. that he will return as the ruling Christ to cast judgment over the living and the dead. This is the reality of what the Bible explains to us from Genesis through Amen. to Revelation. That's it. Amen. Hey, and you know, it's crazy. Uh, people think that, you know, well, like, like we mentioned in the beginning, like, oh, you guys are so, you know, why does this matter? This, this, and that. Me and JD are actually not as strict. I know JD would agree here that if someone said, I don't like the, the idea of the Trinity because that word doesn't exist, but I believe in the Godhead. If someone said, wait, I, you believe in the Godhead and it's Father, Son, Spirit, I could care less what you call it. I could care yeah. less what, the, like JD said, as long as you don't deny biblical truths. That's Amen. what matters. 
Biblical truths are all that matter to me. Anything, ex, ex, uh, you know, beyond that is is who cares? Do you believe that when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from heaven and said, "This is my Son, on whom I'm well pleased," Amen. and the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove? Okay, cool. Do you believe Jesus is fully man, fully God? Okay, cool. Do you believe Jesus existed before he became incarnate? Okay, cool. Like these certain things matter to me, not the words you use. Amen. Amen. So, and this um, is again. Yeah, this is where it starts. We we start with with uh, Mark and I mentioned these words like soteriology, which is the doctrines of salvation. And you will get your soteriology wrong if your Christology is wrong, because again, looking at the theophanies in 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 Scripture, as we see with Matthew three, Matthew three is probably one of the uh, most clear um, events where we see Father, Son, and Spirit all present. At the same time, and um, a lot of people can't answer that question, especially if they're deniers of the fullness of the Godhead or Trinity. You know, um, when you say that, uh, uh, Arn, I just, I was, sometimes I think about something I want to say while you're talking and I'm like, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it. And then I lost it right as you uh, finished talking. So never mind, I digress. So let's start real quickly with a little bit of before Jesus is born. What do we know about the eternal son? Because here's the truth of it. Um, there's a couple of things that, that, that we need to understand. If we believe that Jesus is eternal, then that means we believe Jesus existed before his uh, uh, human birth, right? Now, you might be new to Bible study and theology, so let's go over a couple, uh, uh, a couple of vocab words, shall we? So the incarnation is when Jesus came into flesh. So when you hear us say the incarnate Christ, because you're going to hear that a lot in our discussion, we're talking about Jesus while he was in the finite, because the incarnate Christ has some separate uh, attributes than the eternal Christ. For example, the, the incarnate Christ made himself uh, lesser than what he really is supposed to be. It says he emptied himself out in Philippians 2. He made himself like a servant. So that's the incarnate Christ. The incarnate Christ had needs. In Luke chapter 2, it says that, you know, after Jesus gets lost at the temple, it talks about from this moment on, he continued to grow and learn every day. Well, obviously, the eternal son, the eternal God, did not need to grow and learn. But because God came into the flesh and dawned our uh, our existence, he had a brain that was growing. And that brain Amen. that was growing had to go through certain processes, right? So incarnate Christ versus you'll hear us say the eternal Christ or the eternal son. Those are some key Amen. words I just wanted to get there because as we're about to discuss it, I don't want you to be confused. But um, let's just look at a couple of things from the Old Testament, right? That, that, that point to the coming of the eternal son, not... Uh, the same thing as God, right? Or not the same thing as God, but you know what I mean? Like, how do I want to word this? This this eternal son, this son that is separate from the father, even though the father is not revealed yet. Obviously, one of the most popular and well-known is Isaiah 9, 6, where we see for us to a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I know JD's got some stuff he wants to say about this, but I just want to jump in there and say, this is one of those verses that a lot of people will use to try and say Jesus is the Father. This is why mm. I wanted to start here. Let's equip you with what you need to know. Number yeah, one, amen. the Heavenly Father had not been revealed yet. So the automatic idea of thinking that the context is saying the, the Heavenly Father 
it shouldn't be the first place you go. This is why studying hermeneutics matters. In the Old Testament, what is a father? Well, we know that there are patriarchs. Abraham is a father of the nations, right? So the one coming, the seed of Abraham would be the true patriarch, the true father of all people, Amen. the true king, because he's coming after David and everyone he comes after, he's succeeding. He'll be the true patriarch, the true high priest, the true prophet, the true king. And that's what Jesus fills. So yes, is he an everlasting father? He's the father of the covenant. He's the father of creation and he's the father of Israel, right? As far as like patriarch wise, that doesn't yeah. make him his own father. It doesn't make exactly. him the heavenly father. Good. Amen. Amen. I mean, that's it. Like you, you basically took the words out of my mouth. Um, but again, it's, 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 uh, it's making the distinction. And this is why when we look at a verse like this, and, and this is a mistake we make as young Christians, you look at a verse like this and you immediately do exactly what the scriptures tells us not to do. And that is lean on your own understanding. So what is, what is the fullness of leaning on your own understanding? I see the word father and I make this assumption. Jesus is also considered a good shepherd. Jesus is also considered friend. Jesus is also considered a good teacher. There's many titles that come with the man Christ Jesus. Again, this is not tied to his divinity as God. This is not tied to his divinity as Christ, the everlasting son of God the eternal son of God. So uh, when we make these distinctions, um, we we can be in error and it's okay to be wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's okay to be wrong. But when you are yeah. corrected, when you are corrected, we look at <laughs> not just one verse. Yeah. We look at multiple texts throughout the Bible and we harmonize the text. If the text is harmonizing, we find a pattern where we see a continuation of the same message. If you are not harmonizing the text, you will come up, and this is why some people will say there are contradictions in the Bible. Let's just be very clear tonight. There are absolutely no contradictions in the Bible. There are contradictions to your understanding of the text, mm -hmm. but the Bible itself does not contradict itself. You know, I wanted to point something out. All of our normal followers know this already because whenever we do Bible studies, this is one of those things I know I try to drive home. But if you're new here, let me give you a tip that can be very useful for your Bible study. Whenever you're reading a text, you need to read it as in the present day reading it. And what I mean by that is when you read Isaiah 9, do you want to know why you guys see the Heavenly Father? Because you already know about Jesus coming and dying. You know Jesus is God. You know his heavenly father, the Holy Spirit. You know who Paul is. You're already in the future reading it in the past. So you're trying to take things that have been revealed later and say, oh, well, that's maybe this. And that's maybe this. And that's maybe that. And you see this happen a lot. But the truth is the author is writing to a group of people to what they can comprehend and they can understand. So. My, one of my favorite scholars always said, when you read the Bible, you want to have a first temple Jew and a second temple Jew in your head. That way you can be looking at it and saying, okay, how do I read it in 2023? How would a second temple Jew read it in Jesus's time? And how would a first temple Jew read it if it's really old? Like if it's, you know, super old, uh, Old Testament, right? Um, yeah. But that's the point here. And, and I don't want to spend too much time on Isaiah 9, but this is not... <laughs> Guys, the fact that people try to lean on one verse, JD hit it home with this. He said, the text should harmonize. 
we should be able to go all throughout the text and see a common theme. And I'll quickly jump to another passage real quick that goes hand in hand with Old Testament prophecy. Uh, when we go to, I'm going to wait for that one, Proverbs 30. It says, hmm. uh, starting at verse four, because this is where you're going to recognize something. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Now, this may sound familiar to you uh, because the cross reference here is John chapter three, verse 13. And if you come over to John three, what we see is Jesus speaking and Jesus saying, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. So Jesus is referencing Proverbs 30 and he's placing himself as someone who has ascended and descended from heaven. Well, wait a minute. Let's go back to see what Proverbs 30 continues to say. It says, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So in this one little moment here, we see God, because clearly it's talking about God. I don't think there's any confusion here. Someone that has what? Ascended from heaven and come down, gathered the wind in his fists, wrapped up the waters in a garment, established all the ends of the earth. That's God. What is his name and what is his son's name? And then goes on to speak about every word of God, who Jesus is the word of God, proves true. He is a shield to those that take refuge. And we know that we take refuge in Jesus. So we see the eternal son present in Proverbs chapter 30. Amen, baby. Amen, amen. I love it, man. Like this is this is generally the go-to verse for modalists. Um, this uh John, you know, one John five, uh seven. If you've got a KJV, we we ask simple questions um that that they will go, oh well, this is the power and that is the right hand. Again, analogies that make that actually it, it, it takes more mental gymnastics to believe in, in modalism than it does to take uh, to believe in, in a triune God or the fullness of the Godhead. Um, mm -hmm. And again, this is a beautiful passage where we see Solomon, Solomon speaking of the pre-incarnated Christ. This is again, we've got hints and we've got clear distinctions throughout the Old Testament. If you go back a couple of episodes, like a good couple of episodes, Mike and I actually did a podcast on the Trinity in the Old Testament. Um, oh, yeah, that's a while was, back. That's a good <laughs> while ago. It's like eight months ago. Um, I mean, I think we had like 20 I mean, viewers. I mean, if you really look time. at this platform, JD and I have two main things we really, uh, three things we hit on. Sola Fide, uh, 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 Eternal Security, and Christology, who is Jesus? Amen. Between yeah. the people that deny Jesus is God, the people that deny Jesus is Trinity. You know, I've worded that wrong, but so yeah. this is one of those things we're passionate about because we love Jesus and we want to emphasize who the eternal son is. Because I mean, guys, ready? I'm gonna get this. Let me lower this down for a second. I've said this before, but again, I think we have some new people tonight. The understanding of the Trinity doesn't just coincide with all the scriptures it actually coincides with the attributes of God. And I've said this before, and I have yet to have someone that can actually challenge me on this as far as modalism and, and oneness or even uh, other monotheistic religions. I asked them, is God absolute? The answer should be yes. All Abrahamic religions believe God is absolute. Absolute meaning absolute. I don't really know how to define absolute. Um, I ask, is God eternal? The answer is yes. 
does God, is God never changing the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? They say yes. So I always ask them, so who did God love before the creation of anything? And they can't answer that question. Now they can say something like himself or, or, or try and skirt their way out of it. But the truth is biblical love is selfless. It has to have a target. And the one, one of the main things that the Bible tells us God is, is love. So again, if God is love and he's never changing and he's the same yesterday and tomorrow and his love is perfect, who did he love before all of creation? And if the answer relies on man, like, well, he didn't love until his creation, then that means God's love is dependent on his creation. And that makes the God I believe in fall apart. But you see, I understand that within the Trinity, within the triune nature of God, the perfect understanding of love has been eternal. The father loves the son, the son loves the father, and there's a witness to bear witness about that love between the two. Sort of like how our weddings are. One person loving another person with one witness, that is the perfect demonstration of love. And we see it in the Godhead, which tells us that this idea of love is eternal. Because if, if that's where it resides, then that means love itself, the way that God it exists is eternal. And I don't know how someone that denies the Trinity can explain to me that, that predicament. Yeah. Yeah. You see now you've, you've, you've run yourself into a cul-de-sac and uh, there's no escaping. There's no escaping. And that's, this is ultimately um, not to try and get one over on someone, but we, we have to be humble. We have to be humble to know that we don't know everything. So there will be, there'll be many instances that I will, I will look at a video that another Christian content creator and they'll say something and I'm like, oh, snap, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's, that's, that's good information to have. Um, um, because the moment, and Paul puts it this way, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. If, if my brother is going to run, uh, you know, and I'm talking about Mark now, if he's going to run ideas by me, he's like, I had this thought. What if, and, and we've had, off-air discussions about the trinity that that are just mind-blowing that we wouldn't even air because it's like it's just like we don't want to confuse anyone yeah. but there's ultimately certain, when you're talking about the trinity you can get worried about what you say because you do not want to step into blasphemy yeah exactly and we've seen we've seen the trinity taught badly and we've seen the trinity taught well um mm -hmm. Does anyone, I mean, even, even James White mentions this in his, in his book, uh, the forgotten Trinity, that the Trinity is something that is, that has, um, been mis, mis, miscommunicated for years. And I'm, oh, I'm talking about constant. hundreds of years. Yeah. And not just that. Um, um, I would say that it's also by the, by its opponents purposely misrepresented as polytheism, tritheism and all types yeah, of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then that's 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 something we have to defend. Um, he, you know, we we need to we need to understand that Christ and his in his fullness and and what he came to do. If Jesus isn't who the Bible says he is, then the sacrifice on the cross means nothing for you and I. Slow down, JD. We're gonna get to that part about like why that's important. Real quick, yeah. Walsh, I will not stop with the analogies. It's literally what I'm known for. But I wanted to respond to Jen real quick. But isn't he also forgiving and merciful? Jesus Jesus doesn't need those things. So when we talk about God's main attributes, right? It's love is always the one that is the main one. Because what are those things? Those are uh uh products of love. 
Because he is love, he is forgiving. Because he is love, he is merciful. So each of those small subcategories of love or products of love don't need to be in existence eternally as long as his love is eternal. Does that make sense? Because regard Trinity or not, if God has to be forgiving at all times and, 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 and merciful at all times in order to be absolute, then that kind of becomes kind of like a sticky situation right there. We know that he has always been love, always will be love and him being love is what he is. Like that's the, the, the number one uh, uh, designator of who he is in the Bible, love and wrath. Those are the two things that we constantly see. Um, but mm -hmm. wrath is also the product of love because he loves good. So therefore he hates evil. So Love is really uh, uh, that main thing. Uh, they said someone said, "Wow, they come to troll your uh, YouTube as well." Yeah, I'm sure there's people trolling here as well. Uh, we don't we don't pay them any mind here on the on the yeah. podcast. So let's keep diving into the scriptures. Let's go over to uh, Psalms two before we jump into Christ being incarnate. Uh, JD, ooh, where do you think uh, you want to you want to read the entire uh, the entire psalm? Well, we can, we can. It's a, yeah, Psalm 2 is. It's not a long one. Yeah, you can read it if you want. Yeah, cool. Why not? Why not? Why not, man? Why not? Why not? Just uh, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son today i have begotten you i mean <laughs> talking point right there <laughs> ask of me and i will make the nations your heritage and and the ends of the earth your possession you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel now therefore o kings be wise be warned O rulers of the earth Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way he kindled. Amen. Sorry, I get excited with that. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. So a couple talking points there. Notice the reference uh, for the people that I hope have been growing with us. I hope you're starting to get these context, uh, these cross references popping in your head when you heard uh, today I've begotten you. I hope that in your mind you remembered Hebrews chapter one, right? And this is actually, I believe, one of the greatest chapters to memorize if you're battling against people that say Jesus isn't God or Jesus is an angel, because this chapter completely demolishes that. So the reference that Hebrews one is, is back to Psalm two. So therefore we know that Psalm two is speaking about Jesus. So here is the eternal son existing in eternity past, right? So let's go to Hebrews 1, though. This is, I kind of wanted to link these together. Hebrews 1, it says, Long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And I want to stop there because we constantly see this 
through whom he created the world. And I think that's where we get a lot of confusion, JD. And I can't help but see it in a different way. I see it as, and this is where this is where the language gets sticky. In Colossians, it references Jesus being the firstborn of all creation. And people say, look, look, firstborn created. And they don't keep reading where it also says he's the firstborn of the dead. And this is so that he has preeminence. So what yeah. do I see in this? That God is going to always go first so he has preeminence. So before God created matter, he took on matter. So he is now the first of all matter the firstborn of all creation before he rose people from the dead to glorify them. He came into the flesh, died and rose from the grave to glorify them. So that way he has preeminence. You see, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the first piece of physical matter. It has to be because <laughs> there's nothing that can come before him. So him being the firstborn isn't about being born, but God taking on physical uh, 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 representation because the incarnation is not when Jesus became physical. That's when Jesus came into the flesh. We see Jesus yeah. all throughout the old Testament. Jesus mm. has always been the image of the invisible God. And yeah, amen. amen. If you struggle with this guys, God is omnipresent, meaning he takes up all he's, he's everywhere, right? If the entire Godhead was always visible, you wouldn't be able to see three inches in front of your face. He would literally take up all your sight. The only way to see an omnipresent God is him allowing you to see him, revealing yeah. himself. And what is Jesus? Yeah. The word of God, the revelation of God. So yeah. he is the revelation of God, the word of God. Let's keep Amen. reading. Um, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He, so Jesus, upholds the universe by the rule of his power. Now, for the sake of time, let's go ahead and flow a little bit. And he, he first he says, you know, to which angels did God ever say this? And he quotes what God says to the son. You are my son today, I have begotten you. We just read that. Or I will be to him a father and he shall be my son. But what I wanted you to see is come down to verse eight. We're in Hebrews one in case you're, you're not tracking. Um, verse eight, he then talks about what has the father said about the son? He first, he says, you know, has, has the father ever said these things to an angel? No. But what did the father say? So here's the father speaking of the son. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So mm -hmm. I know that it's a struggle, JD. And I know I've been talking a lot on this one, but I'm just so excited about talking about this. Um, yeah. A lot of people struggle where Jesus says, you know, my God. And he, he calls the Father my God a few times. Or he says, you know, um, the only true God. But even here we see the Father calling the Son God. And it's almost like I get why some people might struggle with it. But just because the Father is God doesn't mean suddenly Jesus isn't God, right? They're God. That's one God. So it's not like Jesus is an atheist. People are like, yeah. why did Jesus call his Father God? Because he's not an atheist. Like, that's still, his father's still the one true God. He is the one true God. They are one. 
So they will refer to each other the same way that they refer to each other, like constantly. The father yeah. calls the son God. The son calls the father God because that's what they are. Yeah, the best the best explanation for this is Philippians chapter two. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. Paul breaks it down in 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 its entirety. But again, people I often get the question: uh, Now that I'm saved, where do I start reading the Bible? And and a lot of people will tell you start with Paul's epistles. But I always tell people to start with the Gospel of John. Um, and the reason I tell people to start with the Gospel of John is because it breaks down the relationship between Jesus Christ the Son and God the Father. And now we also see God the Father um, and 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 Christ. Um, we see the relationship in its fullness from the very first, from the opening line. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no getting around the Word was with and the Word was. So the only way we can for it to make complete sense, break this down and exegete the text over here, is to come to the clear realization that in the beginning was the word. Jesus Christ was there from the beginning. Everlasting, everlasting, eternally begotten. He's not a created being immediately just destroying Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Their argument falls to the floor with the Gospel of John. Um, John also understood Christ. John is also referred to as the one who Christ loved. Why does it say this? Jesus loves everyone, but why does it refer to John as the apostle who Christ loved? Purely because we see that John took time to look at the finite things of Christ. He was probably like the obedient child, the obedient apostle who did more listening than speaking. Peter was too quick to jump up and always be the one talking, where John was the one who would sit in the back take notes and diligently study who Christ was. This is why he's also dropped his gospel long after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So Amen. we see his, his gospel take a completely different route. And this is, I just marvel at the gospel of John because this is how good God is. He's like, we've got the synoptics. We've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke to give you the different perspectives, to show you the harmony between the crucifixion accounts between the life of Christ and the stories and the things Christ said. And then you've got John's gospel that doesn't just give you the life of Christ. He focuses on different miracles, who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and what Jesus will come back to do, because we know that John also authors Revelation. So here we see the, the complete fullness of, of Christ and who he is being God and being son, son of God in the flesh. Amen. And, and I'm glad he said John 1. Let's go there real quick. So this is, and you've probably, again, I know that if you guys have followed us, a lot of things get repeated, but that's how you actually memorize it, the constant repetition of certain things. And this is the kind of stuff I want you to be like, man, I'm tired of hearing you say it, Mike, but yeah, I know it by heart now. Let's talk about the first couple verses of John because John is very specific on how he writes this. he John is not just writing willy-nilly. He chooses every single word on purpose. And in the English, it is beautiful. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But there's so much more happening here, and I have full in-depth in you know, videos on this, so I'll, I'm going to move quickly. But it starts by saying, enarche eno logos, meaning in the beginning was the word. 
Now, if you ever look at the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, and that's what they were reading. So in case you're not aware of this, when Jesus was walking this earth, they read the Old Testament in Greek. The opening of Genesis in the beginning God created was anarche, right? So John here is opening up the same way as Genesis. Do you know why? Well, in Genesis, we have the creation uh, uh, um, of the world, uh, the beginning of existence. But in John chapter one, we see the beginning of redemption, the creation of the plan of redemption, right? We see the word and what he's about to do. So anarche and uh, o logos. Now, just like in Genesis one, it the en n is the verb was. Now, you and I understand in English, was can really mean a lot of things as far as tense goes. But in other languages, you change that verb depending on the tense. John leaves this unchanged to represent an eternal existence. So just like Genesis says, in the beginning, uh, God created, and it means God has always existed, even in the beginning. It's saying the same here. So it's not saying in the beginning, the word began to exist. It's not. It's saying in the beginning, yeah. the word already existed. And, and then, then it says that he was with God, pros. And I see Walsh already hit on it. And I have it open uh, over here to show you a comparison. That same, uh, you know, verb pr pros, which is to, is a face-to-face -face kind of thing. In fact, Paul writes here, but then face-to-face, -face, and he uses pros. So pros is about proximity. So therefore, we know that in John chapter 1, it is at least saying that this eternal word who has always existed was in proximity to God. And then it says, Kai o logos and theos. So then it says, and the word was God. So John yeah, makes amen. it clear that not only was this word eternally existing, and this word was with God in a proximity, this word was also God. And there's a reason, I'm sorry if I'm boring some of you, I love this stuff. There's a reason why God in the first section is theon, and the second one is theos. Because in the first section, the word is the subject. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. But this second part, God becomes the subject because the word was God. And that theos, which we can all see here that Jesus is being referred to as theos. If I go to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, which, which version of God is, is being spoken of right there that John chose to use? Theos. Yeah. So John literally uses the same term for God in John 3, 16, because here's the thing. You're going to have someone that says to you, oh, uh, you know, John uh, didn't mean this or whatever. Just look at them and say, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> John is using yeah. the exact same designator for God, meaning God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and then use that same term for Jesus. So yeah, John amen. chapter one leaves us no room to believe that Jesus is, is not God. and I know that Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses will change this. They'll make it say like, was a God, but I'm going to let mm -hmm. you guys know a little secret. Y'all want to know the secret? None of them changed verse three. And verse three literally says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So verse three eliminates Jesus from the created category. Amen. Amen. I'm going to let you, since I've been conquering all this, I'm going to let you hit Philippians too. <laughs> yeah. Amen. I mean, even if we go to Psalm, Psalm 138, Psalm 138, verse two, Psalm 138. 
Yeah, just quickly, just Psalm 138, verse 2, just before we go to Philippians 2, I just want to show you something. Yeah, just, just in conjunction with, with uh, uh, what we've just read. What does he say there? I bow down toward the holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. Your name, your name. Oh, sorry, your name and your it. word. So, so there we see even, even the psalmist David, this is one of his psalms. He understood. He understood what he could not see. This is the beauty of this. He understood what he could not see. So when Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have, who have believed and have not seen, do you realize this also applies to those who came before Christ who had faith in God's promises? Amen, Amen somebody. Amen, what did Jesus somebody. Say? Abraham uh, awaited my day and rejoiced to see it. Amen, man. And it's just, just, just off the topic before we go into Philippians 2, you mentioned your shoulders are in major pain. Oh, so and it much. made me... And it made me think of that movie, Major Pain. <laughs> Killing is my business, lady, and business is good. <laughs> Side note, speaking of Major, uh, I'm going to do it again, but shout out to my amazing wife who has been selected for promotion to Major. So my last name will now be represented with the clover. Is it the clover? It's it's the leaf. I don't remember. I'm I'm enlisted. We we actually work for a living. We get dirty, but all shout outs to my wife though, Major Pagano. Um, so I'm gonna keep saying that for a while and and I mean until Praise she doesn't Jesus, let man. me do the ceremony. So um Praise Jesus. Yeah, the kids are doing the badge pin, hey. I saw yeah, I don't want to talk about it. If she's watching this, she knows how I feel about that. <laughs> uh but all right, so Philippians two, before JD gets into it. Can I just uh, say one thing that I love about Philippians 2 as far as the argument about him being God? Pay attention when JD gets down to, because this part is a very like you just kind of skim past it part or you can. Because a lot of people want to look at, you know, made it, he's the, in the form of God, et cetera, et cetera. But emptied himself, that little moment right there, JD, and I hope you really harp on that. In order for him to empty himself means that he wasn't just sent, he went, meaning he exists before he is born. He removes whatever he removes. He lessens himself. He empties himself, yeah. Amen. showing exactly um, uh, 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 his, his uh, authority and deity. Amen. Um, and Walsh brought up a good point that I did forget to mention that that word logos is actually a very uh, important word as well. The reason why John chooses this word is because in the Greek uh, culture, the logos was already something that people looked at in a divine matter. Uh, it was mm -hmm. um, it was an impersonal thing. They didn't because they didn't believe it was personal, but it was basically whatever gave life its essence. Right. That's how they looked at it. Like it is what gives life its purpose. So when John is writing this, if you're not someone who's read the New Testament already, if you lived in that day, you'd be like, wait, wait a minute. The Logos, he was with God in the beginning and he he is God. Wait a minute. And if you ever mm. pay attention to John, the name Jesus doesn't come up for a good 18 verses. So these people are on the edge of their seat like, all right, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> who are we talking about? <laughs> so. Um, amen. Amen, yeah. man. Amen. But, right, I'm going to get off yeah. camera. I'm going to be scrolling for you. I need to pink my neck out. And I don't want to be on camera looking all like and this extra. is. Yeah, this is why I said Philippians 2. Again, we, we look at Philippians 2. We harmonize it with what, what John has already told us. 
Um, so the apostles were in agreement. There's no confusion. There's no confusion among the apostles. So he says, let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, there we go, pre-incarnate, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So the KJV says he did not find it robbery to, cons to, to call himself equal with God. Why? Because they're one essence they're one essence again the greek here usia they're one essence jesus christ begotten of homo usius so we see there is no robbery here jesus christ being god in the flesh put aside his god qualities if we want to put it that way put aside um walking around smiting people <laughs> you know uh, it's 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 basically jesus christ being in the form so there we see, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's what the KJV says, but made himself of no reputation. So there we, we see taking on the form of a servant. Oh, I jumped again. Uh, though he was, uh, did not, uh, there we go, but emptied himself. So to empty yourself out again, a, a cup without water is just a cup. There is no water you can't say that is a cup of water because water was once in there. It just becomes a cup. It just becomes a vessel. So Christ, the vessel in the in the flesh, emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. What does it say to us in John as well? Jesus Christ came into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So he was a servant. Jesus Christ is the perfect example. Also, why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there we see being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Again, we look at these passages and we look at the prayers of Christ in John. We look at the, the example of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's getting ready to die. And he's saying, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, though, but your will. In another passage, we see Jesus Christ saying, I lay down my life willingly for my sheep. In another passage, we see the father will raise him from a grave. In another, in another passage, he says, I lay it down. I pick it up. Again, confirming their unity and oneness, confirming the unity and oneness, but not taking anything away from the distinction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see clear distinctions in these passages. So there we see it. And being found in, the in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on, and on the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There the distinction again. We see both Father and Son. Jesus Christ is the name confirming what Peter says when he walks into, into Jerusalem in Acts chapter 4. Where he says... There is no name given among men by which we must be saved. And that is the name Jesus Christ. So again, the, the fullness of this text is just absolutely beautiful because we see the distinction between father and son. We see the obedience of the son incarnate unto death. Who? For who? For you. For you, for me, so that the world might be saved through him.
Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Absolutely and beautiful. The fact that it says his name will be above every name. I'm trying to find it, but in the scroll of Isaiah, um, well, first it says by myself, I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. But what did JD just read that every tongue will, will confess Jesus. But we also know in Isaiah, what is what does uh, God say? I share my glory with no one. I'm trying to find that spot real quick. Um, he said he says I share my glory with no one. So if Jesus is not God, then we have a big problem with God sharing His glory. We also know that in Isaiah he says, um, I wish I knew exactly where these spots were at. Uh, uh, he says, I am the Savior, and there is no other Savior. Well, that, therefore Jesus being the Savior means He has to be God. And then even right here. Uh, I am the first and I am the last. I think all of us know exactly what Jesus says in Revelation 20, I believe it is. Oops, I did not mean to hit 22, but that works actually. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. See, people always say, when did Jesus say I was God? That's not the question we should be asking. Because when a person is something, they don't often go around saying, I am this. A lawyer doesn't say, I'm a lawyer, right? You are it is demonstrated about who you are based on how you speak and how you walk, right? Jesus spoke as someone with authority. We can go down a list of things that should not have happened if he's not God. In Matthew, uh, I think it's 25, whatever the final chapter is Matthew is, and then Luke 24, we see the, uh, the disciples bowing down and worshiping Jesus. But here in Revelation we know when John sees the angel and bows down to him, I believe it's in like uh, chapter 19 or 18, uh, the angel says to him, stop, don't bow down to me for I am a fellow servant as you are, right? So uh, I wish I could find it. Mm, da, 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 da. Here you go. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him right here at verse 10. But he said to me, you must not do that I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we see John trying to bow down to an angel and the angel says, no, I also serve Jesus. Worship God. But yet we see Jesus worshiped. And I don't know whoever said that we don't see Jesus worshiped in the Bible. Like, I feel like there's people that actually believe Jesus doesn't get worshiped in the Bible, but he does multiple times. Um, and he does. The only time he does not allow it is when someone was doing it for the wrong reason. What do I mean by that? Um, looks like JD ran and get some coffee real quick, but I want to take you to, uh, when Jesus responds to the, to the rich ruler, right? A lot of people like to go here because the rich ruler walks up to him and says, you know, like rabbi, rabbi, or good teacher, uh, tell me what must I do to be saved? And everybody knows the response. The response is, why do you call me good? Nobody is good, but my father in heaven. And then mm -hmm. the, 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 the moment continues, but you see, Jesus isn't denying that he's good. He doesn't say I'm not good. He asks him, why do you call me good? Because if you pay attention throughout the Gospels, whenever people were looking at Jesus in a carnal matter, like just as this person, he rebuked them. When they came to him after he fed everybody with bread, he told them, like, you're only following me because I gave you something to eat. You're not following me because you know who I am. When he's rebuking the Pharisees, he said, if you knew God, you would know me. Like he, there's this constant push of him saying, y'all don't, y'all see me, but you don't actually know me. But when people actually see him and, and recognize yeah. him, he does not stop the worship. 
That man walked up to Jesus and said, good teacher. But the reason he said good teacher was because of the signs that he saw and because of the the rumors about him. It wasn't because he recognized who Jesus was. Because if he did, the response would have been more like Matthew 18. Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Ah, blessed are you for flesh and bones did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven, Mm -hmm. the centurion. I have not seen any faith in Israel like this centurion, right? So Jesus didn't reject worship. He rejected improper worship. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Let's go ahead and kind of summarize where we're at right now so we can keep moving forward. So we discussed the existence of the eternal son in eternity past. Uh, we, we looked at the Old Testament, just a few spots. There's more we could talk about. Daniel 7, the prophecy of the Son of Man. We could also discuss, um, you know, that he is the lamb slain before eternity passed. And we can go down that path. Yeah, Isaiah 53, um, Psalm 22. Yeah. Amen. Uh, so, but we talked about his existence in eternity past. Then we have the incarnation. And I don't know how much we really touched on this, but back in John chapter one, we actually get a great picture of it because it says that he came and dwelt amongst us. But really what's being said here is that he tabernacles with us. Um, Mm. That would be the word that was being used in their culture. We say dwelt, but tabernacling and tabernacling is dwelling, but it's setting up a home. It's setting up a, a tent and it's making your spot permanent. We know that God at once tabernacled with us in the tabernacle at the place of meeting, which was animal skins. Well, now he came into the flesh and dwelt amongst us. He became mm-hmm. uh, he became sin for us so that sin could be condemned in him. So that's that's where we're at right now as far as that goes. Then we discussed him emptying himself out. We discussed his divinity. Now let's talk about why did Jesus come? And why does him being God matter, right? So he did not come. Let me just let me just say this real quick for anybody that's a that's a that's an opposer of this. Jesus did not come to establish God on earth. People are like, where does Jesus say, I am God, worship me? Let me ask all the Christians in here that might never have thought of this before. Imagine Jesus says, I'm God, and brings down a legion of, of angels behind him. Who's gonna kill him? Think about it. You're not saved. If Jesus declares I am God and calls down angels and, and, and demonstrates his godliness, we all go to hell. Nobody's yeah. nobody's going to try and kill him. Nobody. Yeah. Right? So Jesus didn't come to demonstrate that he was God. He doesn't need to really do that anyway. He's God. He doesn't need your approval. He came to die for the sins of the world. That's why he would say, it's not my time yet. Or they would try and crown him as king and he would sneak away. And and, and these little things we see throughout the scriptures, even the transfiguration, what does he say on the mountain with Peter, James, and John? Tell nobody of what you saw here until after the son of man is raised up. So Jesus came to die. Anything you wanted to add to that, uh, JD? Yeah, just, 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 you know, the, the fact that if he came down and like you say, called a legion of angels and said, I am God, that would have been the end of the world as well. We, as we know today, would not be here. We would not be in existence because that would make God completely unjust and completely the opposite of who he says he is and who the Bible says he is, who his word says he is, who he says he is. So, again, we, we look at all the, the problems 
with with when a Muslim says, show me where Jesus said, I am God, worship me. He did not have to say that. He did not have to. He said things like, if you knew God, you would know me. And because you don't know God, you don't know Christ. Listen um, to me. And, if any of you run into a Muslim that says to you, or or anybody, but normally it's Muslims that do this, that say to you, yeah. show me where Jesus said he's God, I, I'll tell you how to respond to this. Ask them if they would say anything that Jesus said about himself, about themselves. Ask them if they would say to their imam, if you've seen me, you've seen Allah. Ask them if they would ever say, baptize in the name of Allah, Muhammad, and Gabriel. Ask them if they would ever say that they have the authority to uh, uh, forgive sins or that they are Lord of the Sabbath or that they are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Because a lot of people can say, Jesus never said he's God, but no one who truly serves God or thinks they do would say the words Jesus said about himself. All good, JD. Uh, And that's the fact. Because it would literally be blasphemy. They know that, that, but they want to play a semantic game. Show me where Jesus said he's God. I would never say I am the Alpha and the Omega. I would never say you have to believe in me to have eternal life. I mean, look at John chapter uh, 6. Let me open it up real quick. I want you to imagine uh, you didn't know Jesus was God. And this guy says this to you. I think it's like 640. Let me go down here real quick. Um, Yeah. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Listen what Jesus just said to these, to these monotheistic Jews that don't know he's God. He said, my father, who is God, and, and he makes that pretty clear. His will, God's will, is that you all believe in me. And if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life and I will raise you up on the last day. I dare anyone that says that they believe in Allah to say those words about yourself, that the will of Allah is that people believe in me and that I will raise them up. You want it because that would be blasphemy because only God can speak those words of you will have eternal life if you believe in me and I will raise you up on the last day. And we see this all throughout the text. That is why it is very evident that that he's God. He just didn't come out and say, I am God, worship me. And, And that's honestly the one of the weirdest arguments there is, but I know that it can get really frustrating. So we know why he came. He came to die. Now you might say, okay, well, Mike, this still doesn't prove to me that, you know, he has to be God. Why couldn't God send this incredible messenger? Why couldn't God send an angel to do all that? The angel existed before he was born. Uh, you know, the angel was already in heaven and the angel could have been around since very early in the beginning. And, and why does it have to be God? And this is where we get into the fact of, the atonement. And I think Hebrews is a great book for us to look at when we're discussing the atonement. And I think Hebrews 9 would be an incredible place. So I just want to read some stuff about uh, uh, from Hebrews 9. And this is about the blood of Christ and why it was necessary for Jesus to come. Because here's what I want to tell you. I know a lot of us want to think that when Jesus was on the cross, the worst part about it was all that nasty, terrible, violent, torture, the the whipping and the cattails and the ribs showing and the skin peeled and the nails. Can I tell you that that was the least of his pain, that that was the least of what happened on that cross? You see, to us, we see the physical. We, we see what it says physically happened to him. But on the cross, it says he became sin so that he who knew no sin became sin so that we 
can be saved. So he took on the punishment for all of our sin, past, present, and future, from Adam's sin all the way to the final believer's sin. All of that sin was put on him. You or I or any other created being would have evaporated from this. Like there's no coming back from that. You will be destroyed. Now, why does it have to be Jesus? Because only Jesus can survive that because God can't die. God can, there's nothing can happen to God. Angels can die. In fact, Psalm 82, I believe it is, literally says like, you will die like men because God can destroy them. That's not a problem. God can destroy anything. So who's the only one that can pay our debt, our debt without actually ceasing to exist? God. Now, how does God pay that debt? Because this is, you know, the gospel, sometimes people get a little confused because they want to overthink it. So why did, why did God have to come and die on the cross? Sin is punishable by death. All sin must be punished or else God is not just. So therefore, every one of us owes God a debt. Now, if I die, it's over. Uh, spiritual death we're talking about, by the way, too. Like the death death. I can't do that and come back. So God comes and does it for me. But God in his eternal sense cannot die. So how does he do so? Coming into the flesh, which can die. The flesh dies on the cross. The spirit of God never dies. I know some people like to say, oh, so your God died? N no, the flesh died. He stood back up three days later in case you forgot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, but so God later, he is rose, the baby. only one capable of taking on that punishment because he's the only one that could have got back up. Mm, mm. So let's read Hebrews 9 real quick to talk about the atonement. But And, and honestly, all of Hebrews is great for all this. All of the Hebrews is great for all this. Um, and Lisa, Lisa, Leon, that's a great question that I can actually really mm, quickly mm, touch on. Mm, um, mm. So people say, why did he say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This also comes along with the question of why did Jesus pray? Well, first and foremost, I want to cover all of that. Jesus prayed because his relationship with the Father is real. It didn't cease when he came to the planet Earth. He always had a relationship with the Father. That's the Godhead. That's number one. Number two, it's also a demonstration to teach us because he came to be the example of what we should be. Now, as mm. far as this goes, back in those days, they didn't have chapter numbers. They didn't have a Bible with a compilation. So the way that you can send somebody to the Bible wasn't say, hey, guys, go check out Psalm 22. No, rather, you would speak the first line of the verse. Um, so Psalm, Psalm 22 begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when Jesus says this, it's him cluing to them, here's the final fulfillment before I die. Just so you yeah. really know who I am right now. Because if you read this passage, we see things like, uh, you know, they mock me, they make mouths at me, they say he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. These are things they were actually saying right there. So imagine being a Jew, watching yeah. people say these words to him, watching people uh, pierce his hands and feet, watching people divide his garments and cast lots for them. And then Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Their tour training kicks in and they're like, oh, snap. That's yeah. wild. And, and I always love to point this out too in the Hebrew. Not only would they be instantly knowing what he's talking about, if they were to go to the verse in their head, the very next verse is, Rohak me Yeshua. 
because it's why are you so far from saving me? And the word for saving in Hebrew is Yeshua. So as Yeshua hung on the cross, dying, and says, "My uh, well, Elah, Elah, uh, Leba, say it, JD. You know, you say it so much better than Eloi, me. Eloi, Lema, Sebachtani. Sebachtani. They would have instantly been like, oh yeah, Eloi, it's literally right in front of me, and I asked you to read it for me. Eli, Eli, Lema, Sebachtani. What is the very next verse? Rohak me, Yeshua. That, I feel like that would have blew my head. Like, if I'm a Jew there, like, yeah. oh, Amen. we messed up. We messed up. No. Yeah, that's what I always say. Always say in that moment, in that moment, the the Pharisees and Sadducees, the watching world, in that moment, when the sky went dark, when the earth cracked, when the veil tore, they knew very well what they had done. Again, this is why the resurrection account is something they 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 fought so hard to cover up. This is why they paid off, uh, you know, the Romans uh, to say that this happened. Um, um, but immediately, this is just a, a couple of things that we see with the the, the Romans account of, of they were asleep and an angel opened the thing. First of all, if you're asleep, you can't see what's happening. Um, if you're asleep, um, you're not aware of what's happening around you. So their story was quickly found to be uh, a woeful lie because no one can be awake and vigilant at the same time, noticing um, the tomb being rolled open, etc. Um, and then also, I saw I saw a question from Hokich. Um, you know, was Jesus scared um, going to the cross? If we go to Matthew, if we go to Matthew twenty-six, verse thirty-nine, this is such an important. Um, Matthew, just what? before you carry on, Matthew twenty-six. Um, I just want to show you something here because this is this is absolutely imperative that you guys get this jesus christ was not afraid of the death on the cross he foretold this he kept saying my time has not yet come my time has not yet come my time has not yet come what the only thing that pressed jesus to sweat blood in the garden of gethsemane we see this right here we see this right here he says and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we look at this passage. Um, and before I give it over to Mike, what Christ is asking for here is not for the crucifixion not to happen. That's not what that's not the cup he's speaking about here. I've seen so many people look at this and go, okay, so he didn't want to die on the cross. No, he came to die on the cross. This is not what while he's you were away, for. JD. I talked about how the cross, the worst part of the cross wasn't what we see with our eyes, but yeah. the spiritual part. So we kind of just touched on it. that. So what I just Amen. talked about, guys, that's what JD is referencing right now. So and this is yes. this is what we need to see. And this is so important and imperative to when we're explaining the gospel, because what happens next is the cup we're talking about is the cup spoken of in Ezekiel, is the cup spoken of in Psalms, is God's cup of wrath. God's cup of wrath being poured out. So when the cup of wrath is poured out on Christ on the cross, this is in that moment where he's making the proclamation, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As well as we can tie that into that as well, as well as Jesus Christ re receiving the full weight for the punishment of the sin of the entire world. Yeah. Wrap your that head around that for a second. That cup is all the wrath of God from every sin throughout all eternity. Because remember, God is Ever. outside of time. So exactly. every sin that I did was a part of that cup. And um, I, I love this part of the scripture because, again, you guys need to understand the incarnate Christ is wearing our flesh. He has our five senses. He's dealing with this human mind. So he felt emotions. Jesus cried even though he knew Lazarus was dead and he was going to raise him up. He knew he's, if anybody knows you're not really dead, it's Jesus, but yet he cried. Why? Because seeing how it affected everyone, his heart, his, his, um, his, his humanity in him was causing him to have these emotions. So whether or not Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen on that cross, there is still that humanity that he is attached to now that was dealing with that stress. That is what we see in the scriptures that caused him to literally sweat blood. Sweat I mean, blood. that don't yeah. tell you something. Um, before yeah. we went over here, I had up that other, uh, I had up Mark 15 where we see the centurion watching how Jesus dies. And he says, surely this man is the son of God because Amen. what happened? I mean, when Jesus dies, you got to understand the earth shook, the sky darkened, the, the veil was split. There are literally accounts all over the world. During that time, there was yeah, an eclipse. Historians, yeah, yeah, a, 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 absolutely. Something happened on that day. So we know that Jesus came to die for sins. And let's go ahead. We're getting near the end. So let me go back to Hebrews 9. And let's read what exactly this atonement was. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Let me go ahead and translate this to the people that aren't that well versed in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the one who would make atonement on behalf of the people between the people and God. He was your mediator. You couldn't go to God and be like, God, I'm sorry, and here's my sacrifice. You didn't have that authority yeah, to yeah, do yeah. so. It was always the high priest. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment of Melchizedek being the high priest of all people. Now, you might have heard that before, and I'm going to do a quick summary. The reason why he fulfills Melchizedek and not Aaron is because Aaron was over Israel. Melchizedek was before Israel when God was when God had all people under him, before he divides the nations and keeps one for himself. So Amen. Melchizedek was the high priest of, of earth. Like, that's what Melchizedek was, the high priest of earth. So Jesus fulfills that, being our high priest, you may have heard this term, our mediator between man and God, right? Who better to mediate between us and God than God? And I know that a lot of this stuff can be confusing, but just think about it this way. If God is so far away, as far as the highest dimension possible, outside of time, outside of physical space and matter, the only way for us to connect to him is if he somehow builds a bridge for us. And his word is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the divine uh, uh, presence of God. He is the image of the invisible God. Um, Praise Jesus, man. Praise now, Jesus, baby. 
In the Old Testament, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which was where God's presence was. When Moses was told to build the Holy of Holies, he was actually told to do so based on what he had seen in heaven because God gave him a vision. This is important to know because it tells us everything that we have on earth, God had made the perfect match of it in heaven. So our Holy of Holies was a foreshadow of what was to come where Jesus would step into it in heaven. And then it goes on to say, for if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of, of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Again, I know that might be a lot. So let me just give you a quick like uh, uh, yeah. kind of summarize of this. The old sacrifices were fleshly. They were vain. They were just, you know, shallow. Like it was just temporary. Houston did this. It's a symbol symbolically. You were still dead internally, dead spiritually, because they Amen. actually did nothing. They were just a symbol. They didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Amen. When Christ died, his blood sanctifies your spirit. You are reborn again, a new creation. Boom. You are no longer spiritually dead, but internally Boom. alive. In Christ Jesus by the power of his sacrifice. Now, um, he then says, therefore, <laughs> he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And then I want to just scroll down to. Here we go. For Christ has entered, starting at verse 24, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not of his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Notice how it said, if, if this wasn't once for all, Christ would have to suffer eternally. I mean, repeatedly since the foundation, because every sin, if he had to die over and over again, he would like, you know what I mean? But because he's God and his sacrifice is perfect, it's once for all. His sacrifice is perfect. So only God could do that. No one else could take your place on the cross. No one else can take the sins of the world. No one else could cleanse you. I mean, guys, Jesus is the life, uh, uh, the light. I mean, he's everything. Do not forget that. When the woman touched his robe, she was cleansed because of her faith. Normally in Jewish culture, if a dirty person, and what I mean by dirty, I mean unclean, touches you, you become unclean. And you have to literally go and uh, go wash yourself in the Jordan. But when Jesus gets touched by an unclean person, she gets made clean. Sorry. Uh, so we're near the end of this. So let's kind of wrap up what we kind of covered tonight. Uh, Jesus is eternal. Jesus has existed Amen. since eternity past. Jesus is God. Jesus is one of, of three that co-equally eternally exist together in unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
They exist co-eternally. There's, there's, it's not partialism. It's not 33% God, 33% God, 33% God. It is one God and three roles, three, Amen. three manifestations, three vessels, three. It's everything but three separate beings. I like to use the image of, um, this is my analogy, might not be a good one, but my body, imagine me as giant. I'm huge. I'm, I'm talking about like, like God big. My body, my face, my mouth, that's Jesus. He's the image of what you see. The father is the mind. None of you see my mind. Never. None of you have ever seen my mind. None of you have ever heard my mind. But if you've heard my mouth, you've heard my mind. My mouth speaks. My mind is the one who gave it the message. And my mouth does not have the ability to speak on its own. My mouth can't say anything without the mind's permission. Just like Jesus says, I say nothing unless the Father tells me. Jesus is the face, is the mouth of the mind. But that doesn't mean that they're the same because my mouth is not my mind. And the Holy Spirit is the blood that flows between the two. And when you become a part of the body of Christ, you share in that blood. And now you're connected to the same body. That's my analogy that I try to use to describe Amen. the Trinity. It's still going to come Absolutely. up short because it's God. Yeah. Amen. I mean, and, and, and as we, as we close this, I just, you know, there's 100, 134 people in the chat right now. Here's, here's the reality. If you, yeah, this is your first time. Yeah. Or you're not sure. I see a lot happening in the chat. Um, a lot of Christians think that uh, you can still sin after being saved. Here's a fact. You will still sin. You will still sin after being saved. Um, <laughs> you will, you sin. will sin every day. Um, and this is why, this is the beauty of, of, of where we were just at with Matthew 26. We see John in First in John. He says Jesus Christ is the propitiation for sin. We see Paul say the same thing to us in Romans chapter 3 or 4, where he says to us Jesus Christ is the propitiation for sin. Now, to be the propitiation for something is to pay something forward. The psalmist also writes, blessed are the men whose transgressions are not counted against them. Our sins have been blotted out. Our sins have been forgiveness. Uh, you've completely forgiven, sorry. And every member of the body of Christ today um, will not, God is not sitting there with a little black book holding score and keeping your sins against you, like Isaiah Saldivar says, where God, you're storing up wrath for yourself every single time you sin. No, the body of Christ is not appointed unto wrath. Your sins are forgiven. Again, what are we not saying? We're not saying go ahead and sin. This is Romans 6. Paul says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. No, that's not what we're saying. But you will sin. You will sin knowingly, unknowingly. Every single day you wake up, the first thing you do, you don't thank God for for waking you up. You've already started your day off in sin because you haven't loved the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, Again, Mark and I try and bring this message across so Mm -hmm. often, Mm -hmm. and it seems like it still eludes most people. JD, Um, you know what I realized earlier? Um, when, when you actually think about Hebrews 10, 26, because that's the one that people try to use. If you actually think about it, if this means what they say, it means then we're all going to hell because it says, if we go on sinning deliberately, uh, breaking news, all of us, after we came to Christ sin deliberately, all of us, boom, all of us, every single one. All sin is willful, baby. <laughs> At the end of the day, yeah. yeah. All yeah. of you have sinned deliberately. So if you really about to play this off the literal cherry picking thing that you think it is, then you're then you yeah. have no sacrifice. Good luck in hell. Amen. All of us, not just not just you, Amen. but me too. Um, so yeah. yeah, I just wanted to point that out. But 
honestly, JD, and I'm a, I think we should end it with this. I, I talked about it on the podcast. I mean, on my live stream earlier today, and I want to, maybe this needs to be the final message. There's 136 of you in here. Maybe one of you has been dealing with that fear, that, that, that those doubts, those questions, and you need to hear this. And JD and I talk about this a lot off air. This is one of those topics we bring up a lot. My wife has even noticed it when she started joining in these live streams. A lot of people's questions are, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do that? What about this? What about this? What about that? And I'm going to be honest with you. When those are your questions, the problem isn't a lack of knowledge of the things that I'm able to do. It's that you're looking through everything with the long, wrong lens. You are yeah. treating it like a job. You know what? where else you will hear someone saying that? Someone at their first day at work. Hey, where do I go for break? And where am I allowed to do that? And how long can I yeah. be there? And how can I do this? And how can I do that? That is, you're looking for, the lens is wrong. You're in here like what I have to do, what I can't do. Sometimes yeah. I think it is, sometimes it, it's born from that fear. And then sometimes it's also born from someone trying to see how little do I have to let go of to, to, to be saved? Like how much of the world can I still hold on to? At the end of the day, guys, and I'm sure JD can attest to this. When you have a true repentance, a change of mind and go from being a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness, go from being a bastard to adopted child of God, it changes your mindset. You no longer Amen. walk around a slave to sin. And this is what Paul means by, if you are not under the law, there is no sin. We are not slaves to sin. Does our body still commit sin? Yes. But when I sin, it is not I who sins, but sin that is dwelling in me. At the end of yeah. the day, Stop looking at all the what, 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 can I do this? Can I do that? And instead start to focus on the why. Why would I do that? Why would I do this? You are a child of God. And my children don't have a checklist of how to be loved by me. My children don't have yeah. these rules of like, if you don't do this, I'll never love you again. Change how you're even presenting that. I mean, uh, uh, approaching your, your walk with Christ. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Again, it's 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 it's. It, let, let me use this analogy as well. The the fact that that Mike and I are brothers. We we're brothers in Christ. We co-host on this on this uh, on YouTube. I don't have to every single day message Mike and go, "Yo, dude, um, are we still brothers? Am I still your co-host?" <laughs> like. Just checking. Uh, can I still be I could, your co-host? I, mean, I might fire him though, so you never know. He might need a check. You know, and and I'm I'm glad I'm glad uh, Mad Mike brought up Romans 14 because we always use this. Blessed is the man who does not judge others by what he himself approves. Approved, Stop yeah. looking at other Christians. Stop looking at other Christians and going, "Well, they do that, so I'm gonna do that." Or they don't do that, so I'm not gonna do that. Again, your personal convictions. The Holy Spirit will convict you, man. The Holy Spirit will convict you. If there's something in your life that needs trimming, that needs shaving, that needs to be rid of, then the Holy Spirit will convict you of such such things. And, and your obedience is your obedience. Um, so, you know, with that being said, if there's anyone in the chat who, who has not yet believed the gospel, tonight, Mike and I um, implore you, if you've, if you've, if you've, understood more about who jesus christ is if you are caught up in 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 a wrong religion or in a twisted doctrine um tonight we plead with you believe the gospel yeah. 
Amen. believe the gospel because your salvation is important to us. It's important to every single Christian in this chat. Um, and we love you. We love you. And we want to see you. We want to see you in heaven. That's, that's what it comes down to. Everything we do on here is, is not for ourselves, but for the glory of God to magnify Christ and to minify, minify us. John 3.30 says, he must increase, I must decrease. And, and I believe that is a, a daily that is a daily verse for Mike and myself. And I will speak for my brother here because um, I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of people um, attack Mike um, without knowing where he's coming from. And I've been attacked without people knowing where I'm coming from. And again, we are not we're not seeking to make enemies, but the truth does make enemies. The truth does offend. So. With that being said, believe the gospel, believe that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day and believe that you are saved by faith in Christ alone. Nothing of yourself, nothing of yourself can save you. None of your works, nothing good you do. You will not stand before God. As Paul says, no flesh will be justified in the Amen. sight of God. No flesh. I'm so happy that you that you brought the gospel message to end it because I was going to say, let's do that real quick. Because I know that there are some people that may have come in here tonight and you're not of the faith or maybe you're new to the faith. I saw some people saying, I'm confused. Did that person just say Jesus is God? Yes, Jesus is God. If you came in here tonight and you got a little overwhelmed, as soon as we finish, this is immediately available on YouTube. You can go back and take your time or just just drop it because if you're at the beginning of your walk, Let's talk about the beginning things and the fundamentals. Tonight's was a little bit more advanced of a class. Um, tune in with us every Monday, every Wednesday, 8.30 Central. This is what we do. Also, if you are struggling with reading the Bible, do you lack motivation with reading the Bible? Do you maybe just, it's, it's just confusing. We are currently doing a Bible series where you can read the entire Bible with myself and JD. We have already finished the book of Genesis and we are into the book of Exodus. Uh, to find it, Every Friday at 8 a.m. it gets released. Uh, there's a premiere on the YouTube channel, and all the episodes have their own playlist. So currently, if you want to read uh, Genesis with us, you would go to the Genesis playlist and pick the chapter that you want to hop in with us. We're hoping to help you guys find a passion with reading the Bible and help you when you struggle with certain parts of the Bible, whether you want to Amen. read the whole thing with us or you want to hop into specific uh, sections. Also, I want to let you guys know that we do have a Discord server. Luann, I see you asking, can I PM Mike or JD? Not your burden, but need answers and help. Um, we would love to help you. The email is scrolling across the bottom. I do. I have to say, though, JD and myself are a little busy, so we're not as quick with responding. However, we have a Discord server with capable leaders. We have men, male leaders, women leaders. We have groups, uh, gender-specific studies, co-ed studies, fellowship. And I would love to see you take advantage of that. It's free. We're not, I'm not selling anything to you. No, nothing at all is sold here. Um, you can have yeah. access to literally 1500 brothers and sisters in Christ that are there to encourage you and grind with you. Um, but you definitely can send an email and, and we will get to it as soon as we can. Um, so we're not sitting here trying to scare you away from doing that. Um, yeah. you can, you can definitely Absolutely. do that, but just want to say, please, if you guys want join the discord, uh, the link is somewhere in the description. There's usually people in the chat at all times that can help you with that. Uh, from here, we're going to be going ahead and ending the episode. The after party will be over at TikTok, like always for any last minute questions or, uh, you know, information. 
Uh, minimum. Oh, yes, Kiera, thank you. Uh, the minimum age for Discord is 16. I am sorry. I know that sometimes we get some guys, some people that are 14 or 15 listening. And hey, I love the fact that you guys are hungry for Jesus. I love it. But for your safety, we're not prepared. We're, we're not. We're not structured yet to bring someone in that young. As a father of a 13 year old, I wouldn't want my 14 year old um, in a group that's not properly prepared for him to be in. Um, not that there's anything bad happening in the Discord, but we've got people that are dealing with tr with some stuff that you aren't that you might not be uh, uh, prepared to learn about because um, it, it's the real world, um, guys. One of my moderators, can you guys help Luann here with getting in the Discord while we head off screen? Uh, but yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you back here Monday, 8.30 Central. Uh, JD, love you, brother. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to really say other than I I'm going to miss you guys. This is the worst part, waiting between Wednesday and Monday. It always takes Amen. so long before I see you guys again. You guys have truly become a blessing in our lives. And yeah, I just, you guys are awesome. So uh, Amen. yeah, I have nothing else to say. So, oh, oh, I do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I talk too much. I know. Today I was interviewed for a radio uh, show. So on Saturday night on uh, 1020, I mean, I'm sorry, 1220 KLDC in Denver, uh, I will be uh, on a radio show. Uh, it's a conservative Christian radio uh, channel. Uh, we discussed, you know, Christianity and TikTok, uh, the things I've been doing when it comes to calling out false prophets. We talked about the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Um, so when I get the link for that, I'll be sharing it so that you guys can tune in and listen to it either live or post. Uh, but I think it was a really good interview. I actually hope that maybe I can go back on there in the future and maybe just talk about some more stuff. So uh, just wanted to let you guys know that. But yeah, now, now I'm going to head off. So guys, as always, God bless and go in peace. Okay.